Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome, welcome, Deborah Klesmer of Deborah Klesmer Designs in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank you for coming to Tia Time with Artist. Thank and you for having me here. Nice to see you, hear you. You haven't seen you in like way too many years. Yep. De- <laughs> Deborah and I met each other in Brooklyn, New York back in, I want to say, what, 2002, maybe? Time makes no sense. So whatever you say is fine. <laughs> Because when I met you, had just started to teach yourself ceramics on your bathroom floor. Probably glass. Teach myself glass. No, it was ceramics. You were on the. You were putting stuff oh, on the bathroom. It was mosaic work. Mosaic yes. work. Was, yes. Oh yeah, that was the apartment on Carol. On yeah. Carroll Street. Way yeah. back there. Yeah. Yeah. It's been yeah. that long. Yes. And it's I been that long. And I, I thought yep. that was an amazing thing because you had you were making a transition from being a writer <laughs> to doing artwork. And so you said, Oh, I'll just figure this out. I'll just rip up my bathroom floor and put <laughs> mosaic tile all over it. And then the kitchen too. I think you did the kitchen, you did the bathroom. Yeah. You yep. started doing glass work. You started doing all yep. these things. You said, oh, I'll figure it out. I'm cool like that. I'll just figure it out. I'm, I can just do this. So I was like, oh, this is a woman I have to know forever. <laughs> <laughs> mosaic people also get like that. Once you start doing mosaic work, you want to mosaic the entire world. You can't help it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, okay. So tell me a little bit about that transition. You were writing you had done the editing work for what was the name of the project that you had done a lot of editing work for two or three years more than that actually 10 years yeah (laughs) the the big project was 10 years Uh, it's called women in world history and it's still available as a reference book online uh, and in your library and it featured 10,000 women from all over the world from beginning of recorded time and we worked with 500 academics all over the world to do the project so that was pretty great and I had done editorial work prior to that as well but that was the the really big project that my co-editor and I did and my dad's an artist, so like weekend fun for my folks was dragging me around to museums and in my stroller pushing me around. I don't know that it was super fun for me at the time, but I do think that I really learned to appreciate visual language definitely as much as written. So that transition was what happened to me from editing. You don't end up as a jeweler unless you have OCD. You just don't. It doesn't happen. You can't set stones. It's not possible. Um, So 
I think from the editing for so many years, I just kept checking to make sure that the comma was in the right place like a thousand times. And that was no longer healthy for me to keep doing. It was really nice to make a transition to uh, to a visual language. And it seemed to come really naturally to do that. And my dad, he put a hammer in my hand when I was a very young kid. So I learned to use tools very early on. And it was really nice to, to start using my hands more than my head and stop thinking so much and just let things come visually. That was a, that was a great moment, actually, for me. <laughs> I bet. Uh, was it more, you say visually, but was it also just a physical thing because you're sitting at a desk and you're writing or you're typing on a computer or you're, was it more just even just moving and, and getting physically active again? Was that part of it too? Or I think so. I think I just, using that hand-eye coordination is just such a different body function. And I really enjoy that. And I think it is also the fact that at least for me, for your hands to work really well, your head needs to shut off a little bit and your body needs to figure it out on its own. And that's a kind of a letting go that's really nice. And then your body takes over. So it's it's not that your head's not working. You're just not thinking the way you do all day long. So yeah, definitely the physicality of that has been awesome. Except I don't recommend mosaics like on the ceiling. It's brutal for the body. So <laughs> yeah, anything overhead, not a fan anymore. Nope, too old. So there you go. <laughs> well, so you started self-teaching yourself the mosaics and then you expanded into glass at a certain point. So yeah. how did what was the transition from so you went from writing to mosaics to actually to glass. Before, I went and, to glass first. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So and actually while I was editing in the in the early days of my career as an editor, I was teaching myself just uh stained glass and then started using some of those techniques both in mosaic work and in larger scale works as well. So definitely went from editing to both mosaic work and glass work. I was doing both of those professionally in New York. And then when I first moved here to Santa Fe, yeah. And then when I first moved here, I had a studio gallery that I opened within 10 seconds of moving here. Um, I had no idea what I was doing because I really thought of myself as an editor, but all of a sudden I had a storefront and I don't know, you could call it that. Sure. Um, I can think of other words too. Um, no question about it, but and it, it was actually quite frightening at the time, but there was, a, and a, a big geographical move from New York to Santa Fe as well. All of that kind of, that whole transition was all part and parcel of the same thing. But there was this quote from Ray Bradbury that I had heard that it, it's just, it was something to the effect of go to the edge of the cliff and, and jump off, build your wings on the way down. And that's what I felt like I was doing every day when I walked into the storefront, I was like, okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> what happens? but people found me and, and started supporting the work I was doing, which was wonderful. I was doing really large scale installation work at that point, not much mosaic work anymore. By the time I got to Santa Fe, more large scale glass installation, steel, glass, and uh, bronze, and also always incorporating these antique objects, starting with, uh, there was a little antique shop 
in Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue. And I started collecting stuff from them. And also, yeah, good old things in New York. I don't know if you know them. Oh, I I think they're probably still there out of anyone. They had opened up several more locations and it's all salvage, architectural salvage. So antique hardware plates, other types of escutcheons and, and just a lot of antique objects. So I was incorporating all of that into my work in glass. And then when the economy tanked, Uh, however many years ago that was. Yeah, in 2008, when the economy tanked, I was was making these really large-scale installation pieces, and all of a sudden, getting funding for enormous projects was much more difficult once that happened. So I started making glass jewelry, but I didn't want to glue on attachments for glue is just not a good word. So... Uh, yeah, so I took a metalsmithing class, just a basic metalsmithing class with a, a guy named David Gasson, who's a wonderful jeweler, amazing jeweler here in Santa Fe. Um, and I, I did that just to make attachments for my glass jewelry, but I found that I really love the metalwork so much that that kind of felt like a coming home. I wanted to just be there. I continue to use antique objects in my fine jewelry, antique watch mechanisms and things like that. So all of that, that you can see the through line, I think, when you look at all the different things that I've made to getting to this point of becoming a jeweler. I hope you can anyway. Um, I do want to talk about the jewelry in in depth, but I mm-hmm. want to I'm just interested in the transitions that you've gone through because I'm yep. I'm hoping to inspire people who are out there who are searching yep. for their art and their yeah. Yeah. because there's more than one. Definitely. And art is an artist and not in the tool. Yeah. Absolutely. So and I think you're a really great example of that because so we're talking about the time when you were working and you had a company called Through the Keyhole at that right. point. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. I and did. you were working from, you went from mosaics, well, glass to mosaics, back to glass, Yep, incorporating iron. So- uh, more, not really iron so much, but definitely bronze and steel. Okay. Um, and I, I, I found a part of, I think, changing medium has to do with the, the people you find along the way. So when I moved here to Santa Fe, I had really just been working with with glass and lead and antique objects. And I, I met someone who is just a really incredible metal fabricator who worked a lot in bronze and a lot of steel. And she and I just started hanging out. She wanted to know about glass and I wanted to know how do you fabricate in bronze. So there was just this exchange that took place. And just, I do think that has a lot to do with it. The people who come into your path along the way, who can just even lead you to certain tools, because what you said is so true. What you're using doesn't make you an artist, but at the same time, just knowing what's out there and what tools are available to you can give you a different sense of what might be possible. So she helped me a lot. And then I started making bronze and steel surrounds for these large installation pieces in glass. And uh, yeah, and I love the metal work a lot, particularly bronze. It's just a beautiful material to work with. And if you're in Santa Fe, you got to ha- try your hands at hand at bronze because you're in Santa Fe. So it just goes with the territory quite literally. So or <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> are there like big places where there's just raw bronze or just a lot of metal thing or it's just a really it's just a really common 
material to be used here. We have a wonderful foundry here, right here in Santa Fe for bronze casting. So they're right here. And then you just have a lot of artists working in bronze. And we have gorgeous sculpture all over Santa Fe that's done in bronze and steel. So we have a lot of open space. So it's really nice to see artists using that space for sculptural work, which is, I think, one of the things that is distinctive actually about Santa Fe. When you get here, you can't help but notice that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I bet. Yep. Yeah. All those broad open surfaces and flatlands and then popping up pieces of sculpture pop up all over the place. So Yeah, and then you yeah. have the mountains, you have the mountain ranges behind all that. So it it is truly beautiful. And also too in bronze, one of the things that I loved about bronze steel as well. It's a little different with steel, but it's it was actually the patina work I love so much because A, you get to play with chemicals. B, you get fire and then you can create these very different effects of color and visual texture depending on the combination of of chemicals that you're using and temperature and all those factors so it's a process that's actually not a hundred percent easy to control which i loved about it and the variation was just so beautiful yeah so when you're working on these larger pieces was that I have this concept in my mind, but this is what it turned into? Or was it like, oh, you drew it all out and and laid it out exactly how you thought it should fit together because you were working in structural pieces. So I know you have to be pretty exact about some things. Yeah. Was it like it fit together like puzzle pieces or was it more of maybe I'll just do this whimsical thing over here. I think, honestly, it it was very much both. If you're doing lead came work in glass, the stuff has to fit like really well. So everything does have to be, again, OCD is your friend in that situation. Like everything's just got to be very tidy because a problem in the bottom left corner of your project as you build Mm -hmm. is going to end up being a very big problem in the top right of your project. And and then you, yeah, it's not good. So actually that work did teach me to start. I don't draw now really when I work, but for all of that work, I did make very precise drawings. But then there were times that because there are other ways in glass too, you don't have to use lead cane, you can use copper foil. And that does give you a little more leeway, especially if you like the look of heavy soldering. all of a sudden you would just have this really improvisational thing that you could have go on. And I was able to lay things out on the bench and just see what comes. It was actually in part how I work now because you want the materials to talk or I wanted the materials to talk to me and lead the way. But then you might have to, once you found the way, you then might have to make a really good template to be able to put this together. Definitely a combination of both. You were working on the really big projects. Now you've gone smaller. Uh So through the keyhole transitioned in 2008 when uh, the market kicked the rug from under your feet. Yep. Yep. And so you said, let's go smaller and started working on the jewelry pieces. Yep. Yep. How did you go smaller? Because you were working in these huge pieces. And by the way, are any of those pieces still available? Still available? No. Sold out and... Yeah, we actually... we. We have two pieces in our collection that I have kept, but that was it. And and primarily they were 
as I kept moving through the work, I, I moved more and more toward just commission work. So they, they were designed for specific spaces and specific situations. But with the glass jewelry, I had moved. <laughs> yeah, I do change techniques a lot. I had moved from, okay, so stained glass. And then the way I was using it is called cold glass work. Okay. Cause it's not done in the kiln. It's all cold. But then seeing some really interesting results that people were getting in the kiln and Santa Fe has an enormously strong glass community, like mm. really big, really active. We have a bullseye resource center here, which is a major deal. And so I wanted to, to try and again, okay. So again, a person comes into my life who had been an art teacher, who was a ceramicist, who had a gigantic kiln and because he had five kilns, he wanted the space instead of the kiln. So he's, do you want to house this kiln? Then I had the tool, right, to begin right. experimenting. So it really, yeah, he just totally transitioned my work at that point. So once I got the kiln, I was able to, to start doing warm glass. And I had been making some large bowls that I call permeables because they had lots of holes in them. And I liked the idea of a bowl that had a lot of holes. No real purpose but to be artistic, right? No, no, no. Instead, you could put apples in it. You could put oh. letters in it. You just couldn't okay. put soup in it. Okay. But I loved what the light did through those negative spaces. So you got to very because glass is all about the light. So it was just one more dimension to work with it. And and I love negative space. I use it all the time. No matter what medium, no matter what I'm doing, there's always going to be some negative space there. What did you ask me? Something about something. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, jewelry, jewelry. Okay. So what I started doing was I was able to make these like kind of giant slabs using in part dichroic glass, which is very popular for glass jewelry. People love it. It's actually used by NASA. They put dichroic glass. It's, I don't know if it's actually glass or I don't know, but NASA uses it around the, the spaceship so that when it re-enters the atmosphere, it doesn't burn up. It is that highly reflective. You get exquisite, you know, color from it and shifts of color. And it's very metallic. It has metal in it. So I was using a lot of dichroic glass and with other glass, making these huge slabs and then needed to find a way to cut them up into small pieces because I didn't really love a lot of the glass jewelry that's out there. It's like a little form that's laid out in glass and then fired. So you have these soft bullnosed edges and I like a really crisp edge, especially in a piece of jewelry. Like I want the edge to look very intentional. Again, no matter what material I'm working with, I'm very interested in the edge because edges have a lot of surfaces. They've got really three surfaces to work with. I had a tile saw from years and years ago and got a, got a new blade for it that was specific for glass, all water driven. And I was able to start cutting up these slabs, but then you have this really like grody, edge. The edge doesn't look so good. It's nice and crisp, but it's it's really cloudy and sandy looking. So then the pieces, once they're cut, and then also I would form them on a grinder as well so I could get nice curves from that. And then I would throw them back in the kiln to just do what's called a fire polish. And a fire polish will keep my edge nice and crisp, but then it's going to give me a glass edge. It's going to look like glass. Um, and so that was just perfect. And given that I was going to all that effort to make these little forms, wearable forms, that's why I really didn't want to just glue a 
prefabricated non you know precious metal bale onto it i really wanted to have an attachment i like attachments i want it to look like part of the piece so that was that began the next part of the the journey you know but no matter what at least this has been my experience in my life no matter what materials i'm using no matter what tools i'm using fitting is fitting period <laughs> and you need to know how to fit to be able to do almost anything. And I always refer to writing, actually. Writing is building a nice cabinet. People think of it like this mystical process. It's not. You want to build a beautiful cabinet. That's how writing should be. It should be constructed that way. So I've always had that brain about how I approach whatever form it is. Yeah, you might have to learn to use a new tool. You might have to learn to see a little bit differently. But all the skills you've had in these previous endeavors, they translate. They're going to help you out. They're going to come through for you. So it's going to be a much quicker learning process as you change change what you're doing, provided you don't cut your arm off or all the other wonderful things that can happen. All of the different things that you've learned are definitely showing through in your jewelry pieces. Now, the one on your website, which is com, right? Mm -hmm. yep. and you talk about your grandfather's radio yep. and the piece that you made about the radio. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know I can send people to the site afterwards Definitely. and we can look at the video and see the, the piece itself. But what was it that you just said, oh, I have this family radio and I just want to do something to tribute to him or... It was in part to, of course, make a tribute to him. My grandfather was a Holocaust resistance leader. He ended up in the mountains of Savona leading a partisan unit of against the Nazis and the fascists. And he was the head of the unit. No one knew he was a Jew. <laughs> and basically he spoke seven languages so he could pretend to be whomever he needed to be at any given moment. So he mm -hmm. rode on the car with the ethnic Germans. And he wrote a memoir when he got back and then the family worked to publish it actually after he passed. So it's just this crazy story you know, of I don't even know what, you know, absolute heroism and determination. And so one of the things... Early on, in the early days of the war, when he was in Poland um, and the Germans were coming into Poland, the order was for all the Jews to turn in their radios. Okay, so, of course, to cut everyone off from information. And he didn't turn in his radio. He kept his shortwave radio. And he credited that one initial act of defiance with really saving his life because he was able to get information that allowed him to stay ahead of troop movements as he was trying to avoid detection. So that always stuck with me growing up for some reason. I knew his story, knew him, loved him. And then we had this, this antique radio that was always in our living room when I was growing up. And somehow, even though that radio was definitely not a shortwave radio, but in my kid's brain, it's like right. that Faulkner moment where the kid says, my mother is a fish. He like just these things get put together. That radio became that for me in my kid's brain. And I have that radio now in my studio. So as our political climate was changing, I, I have been personally incredibly alarmed by the all out assault on the press. Given my family history and what I just told you, that is a terrifying notion. I feel like I have seen through my family pretty much firsthand what happens when you deny people access to information. Um, so I wanted to 
to address that in my work. Also, too, I really wanted to see if I could make a form that really looked like the radio that I had grown up with. And actually, that piece is entirely designed uh, in CAD on the computer. I love working in CAD. It's three-dimensional space. You can do things in there that you simply can't do at the bench, It's which is a very exciting, very liberating awesome lawnmower man. So it was designed. Literary references. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, designed in CAD and then 3D printed in wax. Um, and then from there, it's traditional casting process, lost wax casting. And then it's set with quite a few gemstones as well. And then the text on the radio says, we will never give up our radios. Um, and that was the the message behind the piece. And a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, Kirsten Russell, came here. We shot a video about the piece. It's about my grandfather. It's also about the making of, of this piece. Um, but I just feel like no matter what I'm working in, no matter what material, I do feel like there are a couple things in this life that I want to say. So that always comes through no matter what material I'm working in. Um, and I do use text a lot as someone who's had so many years of a career as a writer and editor, I can't help myself. Um, but it's short and it may only be three or four words, but then you get the visual language that goes with it. Yeah. Isn't that part of the thing of, of being a writer too, is that you say the most things with the least amount of words when you have that, exactly. it's like physics, it's like a math proof. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. elegant yep. um, and simple, yep. but yep. it's not. It's right. there, There's so much depth to those that sentence exactly Exactly. you know and it's all of that training and all of that work is is what's the word distilled yeah distilled yeah yeah definitely no question about it and that the radio is one really that caught my attention so you're doing that piece and you're doing other pieces and you're doing charity yeah yeah, when uh when COVID hit and all my shows for this year were canceled, <laughs> and believe me, I am not alone in this. You know, no, you're not. we're all going through this. It, it, it was a really amazing moment to have to catch up to. But I just felt since I didn't know what was going to happen next, and everything in my world had been just really just I don't know laid bare for lack of a better word. I had really I had spent so much. Obviously, as we all do as artists, it's been years to get the business just to a place where I felt like the past couple of years have been really wonderful years for me creatively. And and yeah, it's just been great. So all of that kind of got stripped in a single moment with all the cancellations. So I felt, okay, everything's been leveled to the ground right now anyway. I don't know how I'm going to survive it. But of course, determined to survive, always work 24-7 anyway. So I'll figure out a way. But since that's happened, let me take this moment to do the thing that I've put off for so many years that's always been in the forefront of my mind, which is I want to use my work in service to some greater good. And there were I had yeah, I didn't have a million excuses. I really only had one, which was always, mm, let me wait till the business is making more money. Let me wait till things are in a better place. Yeah. And then I will do it. I will get there. And I, that's what I will use that for. Okay. And I also was raised with the phrase, if not now, when? So it was a, if not now, when for, for me moment. Sure. Um, so I feel like I've really altered the business model. So 
Um, definitely doing pieces that have charitable components, donate, donating a significant portion. I'm not talking about 5%, okay? I'm talking about a significant portion to, to nonpartisan charitable organizations. So it's a way of saying if you're coming out and you're supporting a small business, that small business is going to support other community endeavors. And I feel so happy. If there's one thing that I feel like has been a really positive thing that's happened in the past several months, it's that that transition has been made. And I'm, I'm thrilled to do that. And I I trust everything will still be standing a year from now or whenever, when, you know, I show up in person at shows again. So far, the response has been really wonderful. There are a lot of people out there who want to help. And it's nice to be able, one of the frustrations I have is that I probably, I could have been a surgeon, period. But Life didn't lead me in that direction. And my only regret about that is not because I want to be a surgeon. It's that that really does help people, right? Direct help. Mm -hmm. But I also know that by the jewelry that we wear, people have a very personal relationship to those things. And a necklace can be a talisman for someone that gives them strength and gives them hope and all of those other things. And so that is something, I've learned that is something to be able to help out in a certain way, to be able to do that and then have direct help go to charitable organizations has been, that's the perfect combination. So Agreed. So what are some of the organizations that you're funding? The biggest, the biggest project that we've just done, it's a necklace that, that says we are all related. And it's, it was done in concert with, with my friend, Sky Redhawk, who was my first friend in Santa Fe. He's a Lakota Sioux musician. And it was to raise funding for the Native American Relief Fund, which provides direct Uh, funding to help Native communities during COVID. And as I'm sure the Native communities have been hit particularly hard, at least in part because many people don't have running water and those other kind of basic necessities. So it has made grappling with the situation even more difficult. Um, That was really, this guy is an incredible flute player. So he, we went up to the Galisteo Mountains, the Galisteo basin here and he played the flute and and I made a piece based on what he played and and we've donated a significant amount of funding to them and 50% of proceeds from the sale of the necklace have gone uh, to the Native American Relief Fund. Basically any dime that the studio made off of our 50% was donated back or not donated, but used for advertising the piece so we could sell more so we could donate more. So that's just been really wonderful. And I do believe we are all related. It's a good message. No two ways about it. It's a good reminder. Is there another organization as well, or just the one? Uh, Yeah. And then we're also donating money to the Esperanza Women's Shelter, which is here in Santa Fe for uh, people who are experiencing domestic violence and there's a piece specific for that donation on the giving page of the website and uh, and also there's a donation component to the radio piece actually which helps fund legal resources for student journalists yeah yeah so it's all the content is related to the charitable organization that's chosen yeah it's all part of a piece for lack of a better way to phrase it so you're definitely your website that you're in a designer, artist, writer, uh, and activist should be in there. Activist is definitely in your resume. Sure. 
Sure thing. I just, I kind of, I believe that we all should do what we can. And uh, there are so many things I can't do. So the few things that I can, I, I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. It's, it's, it's a good example <laughs> for us all. It's like, oh, she can do that and I can do that. And, oh, that's a good idea. You know, that's, again, that's why I wanted to have these conversations with people because people are doing things. And if we, if I can get other people to hear what other folks are doing, then, oh, I never thought of that. Shoot, Absolutely. I can do that. Yep. Each one, teach one. So, <laughs> no, it's so, it's so true. You know, it's so true. And as much as a lot of artists, I, I'm not dissimilar from many other artists. I would, my first choice is to be alone working away for 15 hours without getting up. But if being yeah. in the public, but if being in the public a little bit more just, it helps me to hear what other people are doing and also share what I'm doing. I do think you're absolutely right. It's hugely important. And one thing I have to give a shout out for, to Santa Fe for that reason as well. When I moved here from New York, I didn't know what to expect in the artist community here. People are incredibly generous with their knowledge. Like I have found that to be universally true. We all want to share what we're doing. And many people are doing these weird things like that are not very it's not a traditional use of their materials. So that's exciting because yeah, you want to, you want to push the boundaries of whatever you're working in. So yeah, help is a good thing to give it and to get it. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember in New York, it was, I had seven jobs all the time. <laughs> And that was like the old living color show. It's like, ah, oh, you're a lazy Jamaican. You only have seven jobs. It was kind of like that. Uh, yeah. And I did very little art in New York. But yep. at the same time, I got a lot out of being there because I did get to meet a lot of artists and uh, play with some different people that I would not normally have had the chance to. So. Yep. Yep. You know, there's a lot of goods and a lot of bads. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that it's been as many years as it has been. And you and I are still, we're still doing, still doing it. it. And that's, it's not a small thing. And I understand that. Maybe I had to get to my 50s to really understand what that is. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. I was trying to think, you've got all these things going. And we talked about this briefly the other day. You're writing your werewolf story. Yeah, not in a while, man. But I would like to go back to that novel. I definitely would. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, what was it about? Because that there's something, it was about lights and darks, I think. We were talking about that. Because when you work in the glass and you talk about reflections mm -hmm. and how the light hits it, and then you have the negative spaces in, your, in the bowls with the holes and there's lights and darks. And then you talk about the freedom fighting with your grandfather and, and not giving up your radios now with mm -hmm. the Trump machine. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of light and dark in your work. So now you're just like, why werewolves? And I think because they have that in them, there's like this terrible light and dark in there. And, yep. I, yep. and I, I, you know, I still remember when you read part of that, work that you had started back in the day on the werewolf scared the crap out of me <laughs> <laughs> that's so good i love hearing that that was the point and it was yeah. only like a couple of pages but i was like oh my yeah. gosh finish it finish yeah. it yeah i think it's funny that you brought that up just because um a current video piece that we're working on is a 
it's about these jewelry forms that I call gear flowers, um, which are like this uniting of nature and culture. So for me, I think for whatever reason, I'm always trying to take these things that we usually frame as a dichotomy Mm -hmm. and synthesize them and try to find the points of intersection. So with the werewolf story, it really is about the more violent side of uh, human nature, because I don't think of the violent side as necessarily being the wolf part. I think of it as being the human part with our compassionate self as well, and how those two things can and very much do coexist. So it's that meeting. And and I think that's always an exciting place when you take two things that don't really belong together and you put them together. Interesting things will happen. And it does force you to see the world in a different way. Um, And I I think in some ways, for me at least, I can only speak personally about this, but for me, it does help me overcome really negative feelings that I have toward anybody who doesn't think like I do. It helps me bridge. It's a bridge. The bridging, I get that because when Trump came into power, Uh uh, my partner, she literally just sat in the chair for literally two weeks and just was shaking her head the whole time. I can't believe it. And I just kept on trucking and she asked me and she said, how can you not be affected? I said, I am affected by it, but this isn't just normal life for me. Mm -hmm. What's changed? Yep. Because really, it's really nothing's changed. It's like I'm still doing the same thing I was doing yesterday. Mm-hmm. The thing that's strange about it is I actually am thankful for him because he's put all the stuff that was hidden is mm-hmm. out in the open now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People aren't hiding anymore. So it's mm-hmm. like all that stuff that I was seeing all the time as a black person Absolutely. in this country, mm-hmm. it's not hidden anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and people are admitting things openly because they think it's okay because he's just vomiting crap all over the world yep. uh, and, and saying this is the way it should be. And people are like, yeah, that's right. So you're like, oh, so that idea of bridging between those p- people who support him and they say, well, he's not all bad because he... Can you think of a reason? I, I can't even think... <laughs> I can't, I can't, but no, some people are saying he's not all bad because he's tough on crime or something. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, but... <laughs> Yep. But uh, but the fact that they say he's not all bad because, right. and it's like, so somehow they're justifying all of his behavior based on one thing that they found that they agree with. Yeah. And I, I think the, there's a term single issue voters. And I, I feel like they've built a coalition of all of these different kinds of single issue voters. But those single issues just don't happen to be issues that I I agree with at all. It's also one of those things where I still have to remember people are human. Exactly. And that just because they support a candidate that I don't appreciate doesn't mean that they're bad humans. But at the same time, I have to wonder, you're supporting, you're overlooking all these horrible, they're inhumane things that you're supporting. Yep. And you think that's okay. Yeah. So how can I bridge that gap yeah exactly yep as a jewish person Mm -hmm. and someone whose our family story is about the holocaust because of my grandfather so having grown up with the knowledge of what happened as being a predominant part of of my lessons right there's this thing that you go through of 
not wanting to ever become like the people who did these horrible things. And I do think that there's a way in which hatred makes you like that. It makes you more susceptible to crazy to cray, right? Right, right. (laughs) Hatred makes you more acceptable to cray cray. We can leave it at that. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) exactly right. I don't want to be that. And at the same time, the polarization is real. The differences are real. They need to be acknowledged. They need to be discussed. But I and I, I think sometimes it's as simple as like this very easy lesson that that I was taught really early on. You don't have to say everything you think. True. That <laughs> you is true. Like that I do think the world might be a better place if yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and that has been, I think, the the fight that all of us have had internally mm-hmm. and some of us externally as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's um it always it keeps coming back to it, it keeps coming back to what do we do what do we do and I I get I'm hearing that from a lot of people and mm-hmm. I keep saying it I just say make art make yeah. art make art yeah that's it's, it does affect me stress yep. is high yeah um worried about a lot of things I was never worried about before of course COVID is a huge fear but it's just make art just keep making art and because of covid because we have this technology where we can talk to each other Mm -hmm. it's like it it it's allowing us to have the salon that i've always wanted to have i'm talking to people that i could never talk to before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say well what are you doing what are you working Mm -hmm. on right now how can we work together is there something i can help you with can you Mm help me Mm -hmm. um that is happening and on a different level. And I'm really pleased to see that. So there is some good coming out of all of this. And I think because artists are creative enough to, to reach and ask for that. Yeah. So that is, that's a lovely thing to see. I think, you know, those moments where everything just, just really falls apart. You can be felled by that or you can innovate. Those are our choices. You could do a combination of both, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. depending on the day. I see a lot of people really just innovating and trying to find new ways to connect. We're humans. We want to connect. We'll figure it out until we can return to, to in-person stuff more safely. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's awesome. And it's always good to hear what other artists are doing and adapting to weird times. So yeah. Very strange. It's it's propelled us so quickly into this this digital age for the for those of us who are over yeah. forty, over thirty. Yeah. Over twenty, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Point. Cause all of this digital stuff, it's like, what is this? But we're having to jump headlong it's and i think this was going to be like a 10-year span to get to where we are right now uh i think that it just pushed us from that 10 years it would have taken us to get to where we are right now where everybody jumped at the same time where we are right now uh, which means everybody's a little bit more hyper educated about digital stuff which i would have never even thought about this podcast thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as even a possibility because Mm -hmm. back in before you had to have much more equipment. It costs a fortune. Now it's not like that anymore. Yep. Yep. And as, as an artist, for me, at least the digital stuff, and I still, I feel like a newbie every day still, but it is just another language. So that part is exciting to learn. And that's why I also do work in CAD again, just it's an, it's another language. So the technology, it's a tool. So it's one more tool. So I love that. 
Let me ask you a question about what would you tell your younger self that now that you didn't know then? Let's say, what would you tell your 30-year-old self? 30. Can you remember what you were doing when you were 30? Again, time makes no sense. So I don't really know. I have a lot of trouble things to chronology, just in terms of carbon dating myself. But 30s. Let's see. So let me do late 80s. Middle 90s, somewhere in there. That helped me. Thank yeah. you. This is what I would say. I don't know if it's relevant to anything we've discussed, but I think it actually is. I would use a quote from a poem by Lucille Clifton. And actually, no, it's a quote from Lucille Clifton, but I don't believe it's in one of her poems. She, She said it in an interview. And she just said, if you see crazy coming, cross the street. (laughs) And that's what I would tell myself, you know, because it applies to a lot of different things, really. I think your path can be smoother if you just cross the street. Yeah. Just avoid the the whole situation. Yeah. You don't have to flip them off. Just uh, cross the street. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yep. It's like, woohoo, cray cray is coming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, yeah. Yep, I think we have a lot of choice over what what we permit into our lives. And the less cray we have, the I for me, the the more creative I can be. There's no question about it. Right. So I'd rather be crazy at the bench all by myself. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Have that crazy idea and have it turn into some beautiful piece of work. Exactly. So, is there anything that you want the audience to know before we sign off today that they should go to your website and your art, your photos, your videos are there and Deborah Klesmer designs.com and also I one of the ways that I'm getting through this time is with commission work which I shied away from before with the jewelry I did some but I wasn't actively seeking a lot of it and now those are big projects they're fun I enjoy working closely with people they're very personal so if you have something in mind definitely feel free to contact me through the website if you don't see what you're looking for on the website for sure yeah Thank you. Thank you, Deborah, for spending the time with me today on Tia Time. I just love getting to see you. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website, tiaviolin.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate your comments and will mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Lines of Ben Michigan or Jam. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed in the show or start new ones with like-minded people, join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time.
Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artists. Make sure to visit our website at TiaViolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.